You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, in a time when people all over our world are in fear of getting sick or fear of maybe even possibly dying or having someone that they love die, I want you to know today that you can still have tangible hope even if the worst were to happen. That there is a hope that's real. There is a hope that's tangible. There is a hope that brings peace in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. And I want you to know that that hope can be a reality for you and a reality for your family and a reality in the situation in which you find yourself right now. Actually, even right now, These are the kind of fears, these are the kind of situations that make us say, hey, we're going to wash our hands, we're going to actually practice social distancing, and we're actually going to stay home to keep people around us safe, and we're going to keep ourselves as healthy as we can. Inevitably, though, our time comes. Inevitably, the moment comes when you and I, and we don't know the date or the time, but the time comes when you and I will pass away. And whether it's old age or an accident or an illness or it's an unsolved mystery, death and the possibility of death cause you and I to ask the big question. And the question is, where will you be 60 seconds after you die? My friend Patrick, an elderly gentleman that I've traveled to India with, that I've prayed with, that we have gone before the Lord and sought him in so many ways, a fantastic prayer warrior, became sick last year and had been in the hospital. And over his term in the hospital, his health began to deteriorate. And I got a call one day that they said, basically, his health has deteriorated so bad, we think he only has hours to live. And his daughter is returning to the States, having spent time in India, and she's actually flying back in. So I, I grabbed my wife, and I grabbed my oldest son, Zachary, and we headed for the hospital. And when we got there, Patrick's son and uh, his family were there, and we were able just to be with them. We were able to minister to them, that we read the scriptures together, that we spent time in prayer together. And, and Patrick is lying in his hospital bed and he's struggling to breathe and he says this to me. He says, pastor, bless me. And I know you think pastors are always going to say yes. You think, of course, the pastor almost like has to say yes. But I want you to know that many, many times pastors say no. And when Patrick said, pastor, bless me, I was thinking, no, why? Because I know Patrick. He has such a regard for the word of God. He has such a regard for God's holiness. He has such a regard for even the office of the pastor that what he was actually asking is, pastor, I'm suffering. Just please bless me. And then I'll feel like I have closure and I can go home. But I'm thinking you're not going home until your daughter gets back from the airport. So I wouldn't bless him. So we read some scriptures. We sang some songs. We spent time together His daughter was coming from San Francisco. It takes about two hours normally to get to the hospital, but they got stuck in traffic. And there were times I was just asking God, God, please, God, please just let Patrick hang on to see his daughter and for her her to see him one more time. And sure enough, she's finally able hours later to make it to the hospital and Patrick is able to see her and recognizes her and spend about 20 minutes. And we had been there for hours. And so we finally said, listen, we're going to go ahead and go. We actually are going to take one of the people with us and give them a ride home. And, and so we just gave our uh, goodbyes to the family. And then I said, okay, Patrick, I'm going to go ahead 
and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to just read over you a blessing from the Bible, from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 and following. It says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And Patrick said, amen, like he always does. And when Patrick says something important, he always says it three times, amen, amen, amen. And then we left the hospital room and we found out very shortly afterwards that that was the last thing that Patrick said, that he had breathed his last. My question is, where did he go? If you've ever been around someone who has passed, you can tell almost instantly that they are no longer there, that the spirit has left. And where did they, the real them, go? They've left the rental. They've left their body. They've left the shell. And where do they go? Death is truly a hateful thing. It's a consequence of sin. It's not what we were created for as human beings. We were created to live in relationship with one another, in relationship with God, and we were created to live forever. But because of sin entering the world, death came along with it and we feel its bite. Even this week, our family was touched by it. We received word that one of our family members on the East Coast who has struggled uh, in her struggle heroically against cancer for several years, her body finally succumbed and she passed. And the question is, where do you go when you die? 60 seconds after you die, where will you be? It's almost like there's a destination coming, there's a trip ahead, and many people find themselves unprepared for the trip You might be sitting at your desk or you might be out in the workplace or playing with your kids and if all of a sudden you started feeling flush or feeling warm, you just understand how quickly a fever can come on and none of us know our time because death almost works like that. But the question is, do you know that you have an assurance of where you'll be 60 seconds after you die? See, a lot of people, when they go on a trip, they buy travel insurance. And travel insurance is one of those unique things that people will buy because it's helpful uh, because you get certain benefits. And certain benefits if your luggage is lost, certain benefits if the trip is canceled beyond your control, certain benefits if your health deteriorates and you can't go on the trip, you don't lose the entire cost of the trip. And there's even a benefit in travel insurance that provides for you should the worst happen and you actually were to die. Now, I gotta be honest, that benefit is not actually for you. That benefit is for your family in the event that the worst happened because you're actually not there to be able to receive the benefit. But what if you and I in this life could have a benefit that actually benefits us after death? It is a benefit to us for you and I to benefit from once our time arrives. And we've been studying Jesus in the book of Luke and we've been going all the way through the book of Luke. And if you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 23 because we want to ask the question, where will you be 60 seconds after you die? Traditionally, there's three answers to this question. Many people for a long time believed in this place called purgatory. It was this place where people who were at peace with the institutionalized Orthodox church, but they weren't yet perfect, They would have to go there and suffer until their sin was purged away and then they could go on from there. I want to let you know that purgatory is not actually in the Bible. 
Second is this idea of soul sleep, that people die and then they kind of go to sleep and then they're kind of unconscious between death and then the resurrection of Jesus' return. And the third answer is in heaven with Jesus. Well, which is correct? This passage that we're looking at today will clearly answer the question and refute two of the other answers. And here's why you need this sermon. You need to know now that your salvation is secure and that resurrection will be your reality. You need to know, and you can have the assurance on this side. If you're taking notes today, you might want to write this down. Everyone lays down their life and it just seems unfair. It almost always seems unfair. When that time comes, it comes too early, it comes too late, it comes too soon, it happens to too many other people, it just seems unfair. And that was the experience as the disciples watched Jesus be arrested and taken and wrongly tried in two different trials, one a Jewish trial, one a Roman trial. And they're watching this with their own eyes. They're seeing what's happening here. And it seems like the Messiah is being treated so unjustly, and he is. And so the scriptures pick up for us in Luke 23, verse 23 and following. It says, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he, that's Jesus, be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one that they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. And as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon the Cyrene, who was, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him, made him carry it behind Jesus. And a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and who wailed for him. You picture the scene. Jesus is being unjustly tried. He's being, by the crowd, ramrod into a crucifixion. And this is a final event. And they are wailing. They are mourning. The scriptures in other parts said that they beat their breasts. They beat their, they were so distraught at what was happening to Jesus. And the people are wailing for him because the point comes where everyone, at some point in their life, lays down their life and it seems unfair. And there was few things more unfair than what we see in the life of Jesus right here. Well, as we continue to go on, I want you to know that the Bible is going to reveal who the actors are in this, in this uh, account, who the, what the attitudes are that they had, and what the assurance of salvation can be for you and for me. If you're taking notes, I want to let you know who the actors are. There are two thieves, and both of them are guilty. Both of the thieves are guilty. They are being justly punished for the wrong that they've inflicted on others, and they're being justly punished. But Jesus is in the middle of them. He's the, the, the other actor. He's the perfect son of God. He is suffering willingly, but unjustly for our sins. And if you've never heard the message of Jesus on the cross, it's simply this, that God loved you enough that he became flesh, was born in a manger, that he lived a perfect life, that he started an earthly ministry that lasted for three years, that as he went on, he healed people, he loved people, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And then he said, I will willingly take the sins of the world upon myself and I will hang on a cross and be crucified. And I will willingly go through that so that I can take God's righteous wrath against your sin and it will be placed on me and I will satisfy the righteous, pure, just wrath of God against sin. 
and I will cancel it out for those who put their faith and their trust in me for what I did on the cross. Jesus was dead. He was buried. He rose to new life. He ascended to heaven. He is God. So on either side of God are two thieves. Two thieves. Not everybody recognizes that Jesus was treated unjustly. In fact, we see that with the thieves. Luke 23, verse 32 says, two other men, both criminals, were led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And Jesus from the cross is proclaiming, God, forgive these people, these soldiers. Forgive these Jewish people. Forgive the crowd. They don't know what they're doing by crucifying me that I'm willingly here to cancel out their sin. They don't know what they're doing. His attitude is one that is loving. And then they divide his clothes up by casting lots, which fulfills the scripture in Psalm 22. And all these things and events that are happening are the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures in the life of Jesus and now in the death account of Jesus. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him and they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him and they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. What are the attitudes that we see in this account? How do people feel when they're facing death? There's a lot of ways that people feel when they're facing death, but among them are these. Like we see in the the thief number one, we see that he has anger in response to his death. He's sneering. He's taking out his anger that should be rightly focused at his own actions, his own life, his own self. He's focusing those on Jesus. So he's angry and anger is often a right response to fear. And when people approach death, they feel afraid. Even the greatest person of faith will feel an unknown about the next step, what that looks like. People also face resignation or depression. They just give in. And when a person loses hope, the body often deteriorates more quickly. But people also experience delusion. They just aren't thinking right. They, they're reaching out for any hope, for anything that they can do. And this is what this guy, he goes from being, watching the crowd mock Jesus to himself joining the crowd, mocking Jesus. And he says to them, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. It's delusional, Right? He's, he's sarcastic. He's angry. He's mocking Jesus. There's no repentance in him, but he's saying, hey, if you're going to save yourself, go ahead and save yourself and us. And by the way, I don't think you really can. That's his point. And that's the first thief, but there's a second thief, a second criminal, and his attitude is different. Luke 23 verse 40 says this, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. 
even the fact of speaking from the cross is a difficult thing to wrap your mind around. That a person, their arms are stretched out and they're nailed to the cross. Their feet are stacked one on top of the other and a single nail driven through their feet. And they are hanging there and the position of hanging there crushes you in. So to breathe, you have to push up to actually inhale or exhale. So you're having to push up against that nail that's through your feet. Jesus has been whipped 39 times. Jesus has been beaten. He's been spit upon. He's been punched. He's had a a robe wrapped around him and then after his blood began to coagulate to it, it's ripped off. Jesus is suffering for our sin. And even to breathe, to speak, you've got to push up to get the words out. And Jesus says to this thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, isn't it true that our words oftentimes reveal the condition of our heart? The second criminal believed that Jesus was the son of God. He believed. Second, he admitted his sins and he repented of them. Repentance isn't like this big act. Repentance is simply saying, I've sinned, I'm confessing that what I did was wrong and I'm confessing that I'm getting what I deserved and that's what the the criminal said. He's saying, we, don't you fear God? We are getting what our sins deserve. Then he turned to Jesus and in his suffering and in the criminal in his own suffering, he asked Jesus to save him. Could I have a place in your kingdom? As he's watching Jesus say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he asked Jesus, does he deserve it? No. Do you? Do I? No, our sin separates us from God, but God's love is so great that he offers to us the chance to be with him if we will receive it through faith. And this man believed. Last, he understood that Jesus's kingdom was not of this world. I think it's such a unique thing because if you were a disciple at the time and you were following along with Jesus, Jesus at the moment of being arrested, his disciples fled. They're afraid for their own lives. They leave, they run away. Peter denies Christ three times. The rooster crows in the morning. Jesus and Peter make eye contact. Peter runs away weeping. His closest friends have all left him. Yet to some degree, they're following along to see what's gonna happen to Jesus. And here a criminal on the cross is looking and saying, death doesn't defeat the kingdom of God. But to the disciples' mind, all of this unfairness, all this injustice means to them that the kingdom of God is coming to a screeching halt. They're saying, could things get any worse? I don't think so. And some of you are asking that question right now. But I want you to know that death and disease and fears And anger and delusion and hatred do not defeat the kingdom of God. Uniquely, the thief on the cross had clear 2020 vision for Jesus and his kingdom. Well, what was Jesus's attitude? Jesus's attitude was love and acceptance. Even in the midst of that total agony that he was experiencing, 
His agony was for this very purpose. As he suffered hanging on the cross, his agony was for people like this criminal on the cross. His agony was for the people in the crowd who didn't understand what they were doing. His agony was for people like you and me who have grown up in sin or willingly walked into sin. And he's saying, come to me and I will cancel out your sin and I will give you assurance of everlasting life in heaven, in my kingdom, with me. How encouraging must it have been for Jesus to see a first convert while hanging on the cross? Because the cross was accomplishing for him the chance for people to be saved by grace through faith. Had to be very encouraging that moment in the midst of his suffering. Well, we've looked at the actors and we've looked at their attitudes, but I want to have us look at the assurance. What assurances do you have or I have that make all the difference in the world. Jesus answered him, verse 43, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And if you're taking notes, write this down. This refutes salvation by works. Did the thief on the cross, did he have any chance to change his lifestyle? Did he have any chance to pay anybody back that he had stolen from? Did he have any chance to right his wrongs? No, he's dying for his sins. And yet, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I want to let you know that people don't understand that. People want to try to work their way into salvation. They try to take Jesus' statement and they want to move the comma. They want to make Jesus say this, truly I tell you today, you will someday later in the future be with me in paradise. And they try to move the comma in that sentence. But Jesus said, I tell you, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, you can't move the comma. Why would Jesus say the word today? It makes no sense. Uh, we're going to have this conversation some other day. What other day are they going to have a conversation? They're dying. They're going to die on the crosses today. It doesn't make any sense. And if Jesus was going to say, hey, sometime in the future, you'll eventually be with me. Is that any comfort to the person who's dying on the cross? Probably not. The comfort is found in Jesus's point that he's making that today you will be with me in paradise. You're going to be with me today. You're going to be with me even shortly from now while it is still called day. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 and other scriptures show us that the early church believed that they would be with Christ immediately following death. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He's saying, I have this tension. I'd love to go ahead and be in heaven. But for now, I'm in my body. For now, I have to endure the, the troubles and the pain and the sin of earth. But someday I would prefer to be with the Lord, but I'm on mission until God calls me home. In Philippians 1.23, Paul writes, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But he's saying, for your sake, Philippians, I'll stay until God calls me home. But what's his desire? His desire is the desire of the thief on the cross. Could, could it be that today you could be with Jesus in paradise? Write this down if you're taking notes. God settles the day of your salvation. It's today. It's not later. Today is the day of salvation. 
It's always the day of salvation for those who will believe and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Today is always the right day. It's always the day to put your faith and trust in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now, Paul writes, now is the time of God's favor. Now Now is the day of salvation. And I want you to know that even by watching this and hearing these scriptures that God's Holy Spirit is drawing you to let you know that today is the right day. Not tomorrow, not in the future, not when you get some things straightened out, but that you come to him as you are. You come to him as a criminal hanging on a cross. You come to him with no chance to undo the wrongs that you've done. You come to him just as you are and you say, God, today Can I have a place in your kingdom? And you say, by faith, I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried and you rose to new life, that you're God, and that someday when my time comes, I have assurance that I will be with you in paradise forever. And maybe you're watching right where you are and you're gonna pray a prayer like this after me if you are saying, that's what I want. I feel that in my heart and I would like that then right where you are, maybe you're at your home on your couch or you're driving in your car or you're listening on the podcast or you're watching online or it may be years after this actual uh, recording has happened, but God is calling you and saying, today, today is your day. Today's the day of salvation. If that's you, then you just talk to God. You pray to him, you say something like this. Just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and that you were buried and you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin, to wash me as white as snow. Jesus, would you make a new creation in me on the inside? Because today, Jesus, I give you me. And if you prayed that prayer right now, we would love for you to connect with us just by clicking the box down below or going to our website at sungrove.org and letting us know that you made a decision today to receive Jesus as your Lord. Thank you for listening to the Sungrove podcast. For information on Sungrove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.